2: Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by Rich Hanley, Associate Professor of Journalism at Quinnipiac University in Hamden. Good morning to you, sir.
1: Good morning, Aaron. Good to talk to you.
2: We are recording the program remotely. A lot of folks working remotely these days. First of all, Professor, what do you think of how journalists are covering the coronavirus?
1: I think journalists have done an outstanding job at presenting measured coverage uh, without stoking panic, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, They're operating under extreme conditions. Uh, Social distancing requires that they Uh, maintain a distance between themselves and the folks they're interviewing. Uh, They also have to parse a lot of disinformation that's flowing through social media and determine what's accurate and what's not, you know, in terms of treatment um, and so on. Pandemics such as this one are complicated things, and they have to present to the public a simple version of it without losing the complexity of it. And I think they're doing a pretty good job of that as best as they can you know, while practicing social distancing and while maintaining safe themselves. One of the difficulties of this story um, is that the journalism, the news, is actually taking place inside hospital emergency departments. And you can't just walk in there with a camera crew or you can't walk in there with a pad and and observe what's going on and talk to uh, doctors in real time. So there seems to be an antiseptic quality to some of the coverage uh, because it's difficult to get Uh, for television folks, uh, video of the emergency departments. And it's difficult for textual journalists uh, to get solid descriptions of what's actually happening in these emergency departments because they don't have access to
2: it. Now, in the early days of the virus, there was a lot of criticism of the news media that this was being overblown. Do you see that shifting now that it's been declared an official pandemic?
1: Well, no, I think people are still complaining about the coverage. Uh, there's still a lot of disinformation flowing through social media that this is no worse than the seasonal flu, which is untrue. Uh, there's still a lot of uh, posts about it's a hoax, which is untrue. Uh, so there's still a lot of criticism leveled at the media, you know, driven in part by the political polarization of our time. Uh, but journalists seem to be doing a, a fair job of covering it. Uh, There was early contextual issues uh, when the virus first started to seep into American consciousness. Uh, And that that came in, what do you compare it to? And so the seasonal flu was used as a measuring mark. Well, X amount of people die each year because of the seasonal flu. X amount of people have died because of COVID-19. And that sort of gave an impression that it wasn't as horrific as the seasonal flu. And that was not the case. But I do see those uh, contextual comparisons beginning to fall by the wayside as tragically uh, the bodies stack up in hospital morgues throughout the United States.
2: To that point, the seasonal flu has has been around for a long time. There's a vaccine for it. And when there's something new that emerges, the media is more likely to gravitate toward that, correct?
1: Absolutely. They're not going to cover the seasonal flu, except... In October, getting video of the annual flu shot uh, or stories about annual flu shots being made available, that sort of thing, you know, and uh, announcements that people should get the flu shot. Uh, And then, of course, they'll do the story anti vaxxers, pro vaxxers. They'll have to cover that story during the annual seasonal flu uh, shot season. But this is a different, this is different altogether. Uh, The seasonal flu is drawn out over months. Uh, This is uh, coming at us all at one time, which is causing the crisis in emergency departments and the crisis of a lack of supplies and so on. So journalists are focused on the crisis at hand, um, something that we don't necessarily see um, every year with the seasonal flu.
2: Now, recently, President Trump has been front and center at daily briefings on the coronavirus, and a lot of people are beginning to question whether or not it's useful for networks to cover these events wall-to-wall. Do you think that is a justified question to ask?
1: Uh, That is a legitimate question because these briefings have turned into some sort of political rally. Um, At this point, journalists are looking for hard information that they can make actionable in their stories. Uh, They don't need to be quoting the president, uh, you know, making... Untoward remarks toward reporters or making untoward remarks toward other senators. They need information so they can get that information out to the public. I think the nation would be better served. I think the president would be better served if he let the experts uh, dominate that uh, press conference so actionable information can be transmitted tra- can be transmitted efficiently uh, at the six o'clock hour to the the audience, which really needs that information for. Uh, you know, a sense of what is happening outside their homes.
2: How would you compare the the briefings that we've seen from the White House and the briefings that we are getting at the state level from Governor Lamont and other officials?
1: Oh, they're completely different. Um, you know, I don't mean to, you know, to be flippant, but uh, it's a pandemic, but all pandemics are local um, in the sense that they affect us as individuals. And I think uh, the press conferences by the governors in our area, New York, New Jersey, you know, Connecticut, Massachusetts, um, tend to be more detail-driven because they want that information out to their neighbors uh, immediately. Uh, so there's little bombast. There's very little Uh, finger-pointing, that sort of thing. Uh, There's just a lot of information uh, flowing. I think Governor Cuomo in New York has done a great job in terms of providing information, not in terms of a performance. I think uh, Governor Lamont is doing uh, the best he can uh, to get uh, information out and making himself accessible to individual reporters as well as to press conferences. Uh, So I think, by and large, the local uh, or statewide reaction Um, has been more efficient and more informative um, than the national reaction, simply because the governors know their neighbors. They know their states, um, and they know they don't want um, to start any undue panic. They know they don't want to start making political accusations at this time.
2: We've also seen a huge shift very drastically in the way our leaders communicate with not only the citizens, but also the media.
1: Oh, yeah. It's... uh, a different world now, and everyone's trying to get used to it. The president's trying to get used to it. If it's not actually driving some of the the way stuff is covered, uh, but governors are, are showing, you know, how that they they can stand out front uh, and turn over press conferences to experts. They can uh, speak directly uh, more so uh, to their constituents uh, than than before through tools like Skype, Zoom, uh, social media and all the digital platforms available to them beyond traditional television and newspapers.
2: At the the local level, we've seen some interesting things too. They had a drive-through town meeting this past week in Vernon. Local meetings are closed to the public, at least in person, but a lot of cities and towns have been going online and using social media and cable access and this is all thanks to one of the executive orders from the governor, kind of loosening FOI requirements for for cities and towns. Do you think municipalities might be reluctant to to give some of that back when this is over?
1: No, I, I think I think uh, governor, uh, governors, mayors, selectmen, you know, alders. I think folks understand the severity of the crisis and understand that certain. Uh, protocols need to be suspended, but only for, as they would say in World War II, the duration. Uh, I don't think there's going to be any lasting impact on freedom of information uh, because of this crisis. I think this is an all-hands-on-deck. How how can we get information out to people as efficiently and quickly as possible because lives are at stake? I think when we go out on the other side of this crisis, uh, um, that sort of FOI, wink and a nod, will... go away, and, and the rule of law um, and FOI regulations will be followed.
2: Now, in terms of how journalists are, are covering the pandemic, we've seen a lot of innovative methods on their part as well, and you know, including broadcasting from their living room, using a microphone that you, know, you, you might use for personal use as opposed to broadcasting on a TV station. They, they're, they're having to kind of make it up as they go.
1: they are. And, you know, the production values certainly are not the same, but there's a certain quality to the amateur level of production that amplifies the underlying crisis. You know, it's like, you know, here we are reporting live from our living rooms because we can't be in the studio. So the sort of grainy video gives an authenticity to the coverage. And uh, we're all in this together uh, attitude that I think the audience appreciates. Now, they're not going to say all oh, those production values aren't as good as they are in a studio. I don't think they're saying that. But I do think at some level um, they understand you know, that uh, journalists uh, are trying their best um, under extreme conditions uh, to tell stories about this crisis and are using all the tools available while maintaining uh, social distancing. So I think there is a, is a certain... Uh, realistic quality to this coverage um, that in fact enhances it because it at one level is showing the severity of the crisis and at another level showing that journalists are, are you know living off the land trying to figure out the best way to tell a story. And that gives their storytelling um, a level of credibility that sharp and flashy production values um, tend to uh, mitigate. Yeah.
2: Especially in, in broadcasting, typically, most of the people are, are going to show up at the radio station, at the TV station to perform their jobs. And this has thrown that, you know, for a total loop. When it is over, do you see maybe more broadcasters telecommuting than did before?
1: I, I think we will see that uh, for, for two reasons. One, it works um, as the coverage of the pandemic is showing. And two, it's cheaper than maintaining uh, all hands on deck, uh, studio crews and uh, and whatnot. Uh, I, I think on the other side of this, that you know media will change in terms of the economics of it, and they'll and they'll find that you know the audience likes the authentic uh, presentation of news um, as it's being presented in this in this pandemic. They don't necessarily uh, want to return, you know, to the slick, you know, driven. Uh, sort of covers they're getting on TV. I think news directors are looking very closely at at how they can take advantage of the lessons they're learning um, and apply those lessons um, in terms of their coverage. They can go to more places. They can get to more detail because of the uh, equipment it's light. Uh, It's certainly uh, able to be transmitted via the internet. I think they'll look at that end and take advantage of it when we get out on the other side. And I think news will be better off for it.
2: You're listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Rich Hanley, Associate Professor of Journalism at Quinnipiac University in Hamden. Expand on that last thought. Does journalism emerge stronger or weaker after the pandemic?
1: Um, I I think it's going to, uh, unfortunately, be somewhat weaker because of the economic situation. There are some newspapers, for example, that may not survive the pandemic because advertising has evaporated. Um, And they were already teetering on the edge, uh, so I, I do think there will be uh, some newspapers uh, that, that will fold because of, of this. There's no revenue. On the other hand, I think a generation of journalists is learning the craft at a level that they, you cannot teach in college. Uh, They have to learn how to tell stories remotely. They have to learn how to interview people without being in the same room. They have to learn how to uh, use video conferencing tools to present those stories. Uh, They have to learn how to write in an information-saturated environment and determine what information is credible and not in real time. So I think the profession of journalism will be vastly improved because of this crisis, but the distribution of it... um, may unfortunately be different, particularly for uh, traditional newspapers.
2: And with that in mind, a lot of newspapers have, in fact, taken down their paywalls for coronavirus coverage so their readers can get the latest and best information.
1: Right. Well, this goes to the core of the role of news organizations. It's a public service business serving their customers, which are constituents, and more importantly, their citizens. Uh, so newspapers and, rec- and, and TV uh, organizations recognizing their public service role are you know, bringing down paywalls, losing all that revenue because in their minds, public service is more important than revenue during the crisis of this nature. I think it's, uh, uh, it's a good thing, and uh, newspapers who have paywalls and who bring those paywalls down are to be commended. Uh, for doing so and doing so quickly, because they need to get information out. And the last thing they want to do is, uh, is get get in the way of that information with some uh, paywall, you know, fee and so on. So this is a a commendable moment for newspapers. uh, And and hopefully the citizens will react to it by subscribing uh, to these newspapers, uh, when we get through this,
2: just to, to back up a moment, I know that a lot of TV and radio stations and online outlets do a lot of fine original reporting, but a lot of the time, that story you see on TV at night originated in the morning newspaper. Still, well, that's that that's been
1: the way. It's you know, it's been since the uh, emergence of television. You know, it's what's what's in the New York Times. Well, that's what we're going to cover. Uh, you know what's in the Hartford Current, what's in the New Haven Register, what's in the Record Journal in Meriden, what's in the Journal Inquirer. Well, that's what we're going to cover because uh, you know, local newspapers have boots on the ground in all these communities, uh, very thorough coverage of these communities, um, and you know, and as a result, you know, papers like the Waterbury Republican-American, they they're setting the the agenda for what the uh, television news organizations cover because they have more reporters. Uh, and they're obviously hyper-local to their communities and they can reveal news that TV news organizations simply don't have the the, the personnel to do. So um, I would hope that newspapers get out of this intact because if some don't, it will affect um, what's covered at the television level. And TV, local TV news is very important and um, always will be very important, you know, to a, in a regional sense uh, to give folks who live in Willimantic – an idea of what's happening in Torrington um, and an idea of what's happening in Bridgeport and Water, you know, in uh, New Haven and whatnot. Uh, it gives a wider universe um, than local uh, newspapers can.
2: When you have a, a major event like this, is there a fear that other also important stories are going to fall through the cracks?
1: Well, it's inevitable uh, that stuff is not going to be covered because uh, the emphasis is on COVID-19 coverage, as, as it should be because of the, the severity of the outbreak and the consequences of the outbreak. So uh, there may be coverage uh, that's going to be by the wayside or set aside uh, for later on. But right now, all hands are looking at What's going on? What's the municipal reaction? What's the state reaction? What's the national reaction? What are the consequences for people in our community? Um, all the resources are pointed in that direction. It doesn't mean other stuff is not, is not being covered. I, I think uh, one of the lessons we have here is from the uh, sports pages and the sports newscasts. They have no sports to cover. So what they're doing is finding stuff to cover that otherwise wouldn't be covered a feature story on an athlete what are olympic athletes going to do now that the games have been can't have been postponed for a year uh, how are they reacting to it? their one chance at glory could disappear because of this so they're getting more personal more up close to the lives of people and i think that's what what's happening now and these stories probably would not have been covered ordinarily
2: you mentioned sports and of course we're in the backyard of ESPN based in bristol how have sports networks adapted to this
1: they've basically gone deep into their archive <laughs> archives um and uh and drawn out some old game footage old broadcasts and whatnot and promoting them in unique ways on social media to to keep the uh The audience interested in sports, Uh, it's it's they have deep archives, ESPN's got all sorts of stuff. It's 30 for 30 documentaries. They could run those and it'll draw an audience because they're so good. Uh, You know, NBC is running some of of its uh, previous coverage, Uh, you know, CBS, you know, uh, throwing some coverage up on their uh, cable network on. NCAA tournament games of the past, that sort of thing. So what they're using is the past and trying to relate it to the present and creating a sense of nostalgia about sports that they hope will keep the sports fans engaged so when the games start again uh, that there will be a, uh, an audience ready uh, to watch the games
2: live. You know, the, the NCAA tournament, the Olympics, all big money makers for broadcast outlets – is this going to
1: hurt their bottom line down the road? Uh, it'll hurt their bottom line, but these payments are merely deferred. Uh, they're not going to disappear. They, they will come back to the networks in some way, shape, or form in the future. For example, NBC will broadcast the Olympics, even though it's going to be delayed. Um, so there's going to be – everyone's taking a hit, you know, the bottom line in this environment, in the media. Uh, but the, the networks, they'll be okay uh, they have plenty of cash flow. Advertisers are not entirely disappearing. The advertisers, in fact, are shaping their messages on television to COVID-19, saying we're, we're all in it together, we'll defer payments, you take three months to make your first payment on a car, for example. So advertisers are still using uh, the networks, including the sports networks, uh, to get messages out, this time getting their message about COVID-19 out and how they're willing to work with customers.
2: As an academic, how have things changed for you and your students?
1: Well, we're all online. All uh, Quinnipiac University has been closed now for a few weeks. Uh, All our classes have been moved online. The transition um, has been interesting, to say the least. Uh, It's a new way to teach for many professors. I've taught online for years, so it's it's really no big deal for me because I know how, how it works and the uh, techniques and whatnot that apply to online that don't apply to on campus, uh, but it will be interesting to see how the students respond because right now they're used to on campus classes and then suddenly they're thrust into a environment that's not as structured. Uh, but so far at Quinnipiac University, we've been blessed. Uh, students are are doing well. They, they they're participating fully in our video conferences, our our discussion boards, and they they seem to be adjust, uh, adjusting and adapting well. Uh, we Silva. Several weeks to go, uh, but uh, we, we are pleased with the transition. I think a lot of schools uh, are pleased with it, uh, and we're using the technology to maintain our mission, uh, which is to serve our students, um, and we'll continue to do that uh, with any technology that's available, um, and And we're happy to do it and and, uh, and be available to the students because they're going through a crisis individually. You know, They thought they were going to be living in dorms. Now they're living at home. There's a lot of anxiety out there and some depression And uh, faculty need to be sensitive uh, to these conditions and to be available to students uh, who are now removed from our classrooms uh, just to make sure they're okay.
2: For students who hope to become journalists, are are they excited to to get out and and cover this pandemic or are they concerned and, and more worried about their studies at this point?
1: Well, ours, uh, I can speak only to our students. Uh, uh, at Quebec University, we have award-winning news, uh, television and print um, and online. And those students haven't covered the community remotely. You know, they've been doing interviews via Zoom video conferencing, uh, via email, via text messages. They're staying on top of the situation. They're still producing uh, news, even though they may be home in New Jersey or Massachusetts or Connecticut, they're not on our campus. They're still very aggressively pursuing the story at a safe distance, you know, and that sort of thing. We obviously comply with all uh, recommendations. Uh, it keeps students safe, uh, but they're doing a fantastic job at keeping the community informed by maintaining coverage as best as they can, just as uh, professional journalists are doing. Uh, and it's quite refreshing to see their uh sort of can-do attitude that, yeah, we we have some obstacles, but we're going to improvise, we're going to overcome, and we're going to make uh, this coverage happen. And they've done a fantastic job. And this will help them greatly when they graduate, because they could say, we went through this and we covered it. We found a way to cover it. So it'll help them.
2: He is Rich Hanley, Associate Professor of Journalism at Quinnipiac University in Hamden. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Aaron. It's great to see you. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend.
0: Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time?